Man, it's good to be at church, amen? My name is J.D., and I'm the pastor here, and on behalf of our team, welcome. Uh, today's kind of a fun day. We call today Vision Sunday. Uh, Vision Sunday, and here's why we do this around this time every single year, uh, and it's because we believe it's extremely important that we look back at all that God has done as we look forward into what he's calling us into. And uh, so today is going to be a little bit of both. We're going to spend some time celebrating what's happened over the past couple of years as we've been a church. And at the exact same time, we're going to end by looking forward in what I believe are kind of three pivotal things that God wants us to lean into um, in this coming season as a church. Uh, This idea, actually, of looking back to look forward Uh, We stole from the Bible. Any Bible lovers in the house? Uh, We stole this idea. Uh, Joshua 1. Uh, And by the way, if you are looking for a book of the Bible, if you find yourself in a bit of a struggle to take ground in your life, you can read the book of Joshua uh, and find all the tools that you need. It is the story of the people of God going from wandering around to possessing the promise that God had for them. And that whole journey started in Joshua 1, verse 2. And it says this, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. This was the Isaiah 34, 19 moment. This was, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? He's, God speaks to Joshua and is like, hey, Moses has now died. Now it's your turn, Joshua, to now not just walk around the borders of the promise, but to begin to possess the land that I have promised to you Um, But there was this one problem is that there was this river that was not a stream. It was a raging river that blocked them from stepping into what they were called to possess. That river was called the Jordan. And it says this in Joshua 3 that the priests uh, were to go and to step their feet into the river. And when they did that, verse 15, it says, Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. That'd be pretty cool. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up into a great heap at a great distance away. The river stopped flowing. It says this in verse four, or chapter 4. The people crossed over, and God says, you know what? You need to remember this. Chapter 4, verse 2. Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan and, and from the right where the priest are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at a place where you stay tonight. Then in verse 7, it says, these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. How many of you know that it's good to look back at the monumental moments that happen in your life? 
it's important that you look back at the stones, these moments where God undeniably moved on behalf of you and a people to see his story and his glory expand on the earth. And so today we are going to do that. We're going to look at a few stones, not all of the remembrance stones, but a few moments that have happened over the past few years if we've been a church that really stir faith in us to believe and to continue to move forward into all that God has called us to. Revelation 12 verse 11 says that they overcame him, speaking of the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. It is good that we remember what God has done. It's good that we not just think about it, but we talk about it, that we tell stories of it because it stirs our faith to continue to move forward into all that God has for us. Now, I want to throw a little bit of a disclaimer out this morning. Uh, I've had a bit of a cold and I took NyQuil last night and so, and I don't feel like it's let me go. I don't know if anybody has ever experienced that and so if I start going into like a prophetic word about aliens coming or something... Uh, that is NyQuil talking, that is not me, okay? So if I'm a little jumbled, I apologize, uh, but I'm going to do my best and hang on to this podium so I don't fall over, okay? Um, six years ago, we actually started, six years ago to the day last week is when we started Antioch Church here in Austin. Six years ago, uh, it was amazing uh, to begin to see that begin to take place God spoke to my wife and I, as well as Moses, who's our worship leader, and uh, Moses' soon-to-be wife. They weren't even dating at the time, but let it be said, you know, hey, obey God, you might end up married, all right? So Moses and his now wife uh, moved down here to help us kind of get this thing started, and uh, truthfully, when God put it on our hearts to plant this church, uh, we were very clear, just like probably Joshua was very clear. God had spoken and say, all right, now it's time for you to leave where you are, to go to where I've called you to be. But we had no idea what that was going to look like. It practically didn't make any sense from a timing perspective. We had just brought home some twins that we, we had adopted. There was a lot of chaos in our lives that felt a little bit like that raging river that separated us from where we knew we were supposed to be, but the path way there just seemed to be very unclear. And so we were just praying and seeking God. And uh, actually, I met a guy who's here this morning. I didn't know he was going to be here, a guy named Tyler Gwynn. We had met, uh, actually, he was selling some clothes. And I went to uh, this place where he was selling clothes, and I spilt hot chocolate all over his inventory. And this is a true story. And that was the beginning of a beautiful relationship. And so uh, Tyler and his beautiful wife, Natalie, actually, um, they had heard that we were planning a church in Austin. We hadn't moved yet. They were already here. Um, and they said, hey, anyway, that night when I spilled hot chocolate all over his shirts, he was like, hey, any way we could help, we'd love to. And so I called him and I said, hey, could we have like a gathering at your house? I don't know how many people are going to be there. I don't know what it's going to look like, but can we just like show up and see what's happening? And we had about 60 people show up at their little uh, one-bedroom house. It was amazing. The Robins were there who were here this morning. And it was just a mind blow to say like, wow, God, you have a people beginning here before we even got here. 
And fast forward, that group of 60 people became our life group leaders. They became our volunteer team. They became our setup team, our inviting team. Everybody jumped in and said, hey, we're in with this thing. Let's go. Let's make it happen. And, and, and we had about 250 people show up to our first Sunday when we gathered at Dobie Middle School uh, off of Runberg in central Austin. It was an incredible incredible experience. And I'd been a part of a few church plants and I left that Sunday and I said, you know what? There is something different that is happening here than anything I've experienced. God's moving in the city and we're just happening to step into it. You know that there's, there's momentum that you can step into. God is already moving and you're just catching the wave. And when we planted the church, that's exactly what it felt like. It felt like we were just stepping in and experiencing this wave of God. And I'll never forget, we had been at church for a couple of months, and we said, you know what? We're an evangelistic people. We believe that when we preach the gospel, the people are going to get saved. Let's throw a carnival on Easter Sunday. Now, we had settled in to about 100 people, 150 people that were coming consistently on a Sunday morning. And so we said, man, let's put together this little carnival. We kind of invited the neighborhood and... We're like, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if anybody's going to come. We, don't, we just know that we're, we're supposed to be a church that has open arms. It says, you know what? We want to invite people into experiencing the acceptance of Jesus and hearing his story and his grace that he has made available for their lives. And so we threw this carnival. And I'll never forget, I walked outside of where we were meeting, and there was a line of hundreds and hundreds of people waiting to get into this carnival and we like it was just absolutely mind-bending I remember I walked into like kind of this little courtyard area and my my eyes just filled with tears because I was like God you're doing something that we can't contain we shared the gospel bunches of people gave their life to Jesus thousands of eggs were hunted Uh, it, it was an incredible time. And again, it was a marker. It was a stone of remembrance for us to say, man, we are a church that does big catalytic events so that the story of Jesus can be heard and received by many. And then we had the opportunity to host World Mandate. This was another kind of big moment for us as a church because three things happened on that weekend. It was like this convergent of, convergence of so many different things. The first thing that happened was the first conference that we had ever been a part of, which was exciting. The second thing that was happening is that that was the weekend where Hope in the City, uh, a church here in town, which this was their building, uh, was joining our church. And we were going to be entering into what I like to call a beautiful marriage. Uh, and so that was happening that weekend. Um, and it was going to be kind of the formal launch of our South Campus, which is where you are all now sitting. And we gathered together at Jolie, no, at was Lanier. It now is Juan Navarro. They keep changing the name on me. Uh, they, we joined at Juan Navarro High School for just this incredible moment of worshiping Jesus together. It was the first time we had come together as one church, and God did something that day that's hard to put into words. It was this beautiful expression of unity and power, and it was a powerful time. 
I'll never forget, we had said, man, if you were at the World Mandate Conference and you're saying, I want to spend my life to see the gospel of Jesus touch the four corners of the earth, you don't know what that yes is yet, but you know that there's a yes in your spirit, come and drop your lanyard off on the stage. And we had like 50 to 60 lanyards that got dropped off that day. From that, we've, we've seen couple of teams sent, people going all over the world. God started something that day that we're still experiencing today. And then a few months after that, we did our first Easter service down here at our South Campus. We had about 800 people show up. It was absolutely bonkers. And then we did another carnival. In the back, we had 300 people from the neighborhood show up. We had about 25 salvations that morning. And we started an alpha group out of that with people who heard the gospel, want to get more information about who Jesus is. It was just a whoa moment. It was like a remembrance stone. God is doing something unprecedented in our midst. And I guess another big marker for us was the pandemic. Uh, I don't look back at that one and been like, man, let's just, woo, man, that was great. Um, the, the pandemic happened and it kind of shook everything up. And right as things begin to start kind of opening back up again, there was just something that right, rose up in me. It's like, man, we have to, no matter what it takes, no matter what it costs, we have to all be together. We have to figure it out. We have to figure out what we can do. And so we rented this huge tent, and we set it up in the backfield, and we're like, Easter Sunday, man, we're all coming back together, and we're going to worship Jesus together in the tent. And um, it was an unbelievable time. I still remember walking from the back to the front, just people pouring out of the sides of the tent, and just so many faces just covered in tears, And yeah, the presence of God was in the place, but it was also this moment of remembering, man, it just matters that we gather. It matters that we gather. It matters that we do things together. It matters that we worship Jesus together. Sometimes it's hard, but it's always good. And then we had that unbelievable experience that we called Nights of Revival. We had Upper Room that was with us and... It was just another one of those moments where God was in this place, establishing in us yet again that we are a people of purpose, we are a people of passion, and that we are a people that believe that God wants to do unprecedented things in our city. And as we look forward, as this, style, this pile of remembrance stones, and there's so many more stories, and I could go around so many faces of people that were there with us from the beginning and different key points along the way. Uh, as we look at this pile of remembrance stones and thank God for what he's done, I want to encourage us that he's just getting started. Uh, you know, not everything has come back since covid I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about COVID, but, but I do think it's important that we all understand that there have been a few things that I like to call COVID casualties, things that died over COVID that haven't really come back to life the way that they were before. We experienced that in our personal lives. We've experienced that with relationships. Um, we've experienced that as a church. If you're a student, you experience that at your school. There's just things that just haven't come back the way that they 
were, and, and I really believe that the word over us over this next season as we lean forward is the word strength. I believe that God is taking us into a season of strength. He's taking us into a season of establishment as we are breathing fresh life, or shall I say, he is breathing fresh life into who we are and who he's called us to be. Isaiah 54, a staple passage of scripture here at Antioch, says this, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, don't hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and the left, and your descendants will dispose nations and settle in their desolate cities. We will only be as effective as we are strong. Let me say that again. We will only be as effective as we are strong. And our strength, our stakes being strengthened is really our root system. The roots of our personal walks with God that will bring strength to us as a community. I feel like God has really kind of highlighted three things for us as we look into this new season. Three things that I believe are banners that are going to overarch everything that we do over the next few months. And they are mission, purity, and passion. Mission, purity, and passion. Very simply, our mission is the Great Commission. Our mission is the Great Commission. Jesus' last words on earth to his disciples and to us, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Living on mission is living obedient to the Great Commission. Something that I like to say a lot is that you are where you are on purpose for a purpose. God has put you where he's put you on purpose for a purpose. And that purpose is that everyone that you work with, everyone you go to school with, everyone that's on your team, wherever you find yourself... On a consistent basis, there is a kingdom purpose to your position. You're there to make disciples of all nations. Hear me, we're not there to introduce people to a religion. We are there to invite people into a relationship. Can I get an amen? We're there to invite people into a relationship, and God has put people in your lives so that you can be a disciple of Jesus in front of them and in turn make disciples of Jesus with them. Here's what I mean. Being a disciple of Jesus is a powerful, transformative thing. The most effective thing in your life for the expansion of heaven through your life is living as a disciple of Jesus. Living as an apprentice of Jesus, meaning that your life is affected, shaped, changed by your connection to the living God. What you do, say, where you go, how you act, how you respond, what you expect 
is influenced and shaped by your relationship with Jesus. And that is so powerful and countercultural that oftentimes it is the loudest thing in the room, even as you say no words. I'll never forget in college, I took an English mini-mester. I only did it one time. It was horrible. Okay, mini-mesters are awful. It's like they, they slam all the work into like six weeks or something. And it was every day we showed up at class, the professor would just pile on research papers and books to read and all this stuff. And this girl was sitting next to me, and she was like, why are you not freaking out? Now, that summer, I had decided I am going to ingest Philippians 4. So I had made it my ambition. I'm going to read Philippians 4 all the time, and I want this to reflect my life. And it says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will rule and reign, will guard your heart, excuse me, and your mind through Christ Jesus. I remember she looked at me and she was like, it's a scripture? I was like, yeah. I was like, this scripture is talking about a relationship with the living God, and that is the only reason why I'm not freaking out about all this stuff. And that opportunity, my peace that I was experiencing in a stressful situation was the open door to tell her about Jesus, the living God who loved her, who put me next to her on purpose for a purpose so that I could be about the great commission, making disciples of all nations. Sometimes we are sowing, sometimes we are reaping, but we are always disciple-making. We are always living as disciples and we are making disciples. Disciples. We first are disciples of Jesus, and then we can make disciples of Jesus. Church, we have to get back to making disciples of Jesus. Discipleship is one of those COVID casualties, if I'm being really honest with you. For two primary reasons. For one, is that we all of a sudden got scared to hang out with one another, and that has cultural effects. Okay, it really does. It like sociologists are talking about it, not just church people. It's like when we went through a year where literally talking to somebody was threatening, right? It's like it, it was a threat, and so we didn't do it. We didn't interact with one another. We, 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 we tried different things. We worked on different things, but just relationships got funky, We felt it. We felt it interpersonally. We felt it socially. We felt it culturally. All the ways, there was just some tension that was very real that emerged in that time. And then you throw on top of that, just like discipleship in and of itself can be complex. Right? And and if you've been around church, that word means something to you. And it might mean something positive. Maybe you were impacted in a beautiful way. Or it might mean something negative, that you were abused and things were horrible things were said to you and you were manipulated. And that word means something to you. That definition of the word is not uniform because our experiences have been shaped by people, not Jesus. That's why we were committed to making disciples of Jesus, not disciples of J.D., 
not my thoughts, not my great ideas, not what I think you should do, but disciples of Jesus. We want to reflect him, and we want to point people to him. And discipleship can look like tons of different things. When you're a college student, discipleship practically looks very different than when you're a young mom. College students feel very busy, but they make decisions about what makes them busy. When you're a parent, your kid makes decisions for you about what makes you busy. Right? And so things can look different. Discipleship for us is not like, oh, we have to spend an hour together at a coffee shop. And and if we're not doing that, then we're not making disciples. That's not at all what discipleship is. Discipleship, very simply, is asking people step-oriented questions. Here's what I mean. For us, we have said, you know what? We have these five steps that we believe that if they're active in your life, that transformation will be a byproduct of your life. This next series, starting next week, for the next five weeks, we're walking through each of these steps because we believe that they are to be a rhythm in our life, a rhythm. Because if that rhythm is alive and well, transformation will be a byproduct in your life. And those steps are encounter, matter, belong, grow, and build. Encounter, matter, belong, grow, and build. And so what discipleship is, is asking people step-oriented questions. Are you asking people, hey, how's your encounter with God? How's it going? How's your personal devotion with Jesus? Or you feel like you're in a season where you're thriving? You feel like you're in a season where you're dying? Is the Bible coming alive to you? Or does the Bible feel like you're eating cardboard? We all go through different seasons. But we need to be asking people step-oriented questions. Hey, do you have a place where you're mattering? It's better to give to receive. Like you need to be serving somebody, not just at church, but outside of church. You need to be serving somebody. You need to be giving your life to somebody because that's how we're made. God made us to do that. Do you feel like you're in a family? Do you feel like you're alone? Do you feel like you're in a season of isolation? Do you feel like you belong? Are you growing? What's God teaching you? How is God healing you? What's happening in you? And are you building? Are you inviting other people into this? Because, man, if this living water is pouring into you, but it's, it's not a river, it's a pond, it's going to get sag- stagnant. It's going to get weird and corrupted. It has to be a river. The living water of heaven has to flow in us and then out of us. And all discipleship is is just simply asking people step-oriented questions. It's not complex it's, it's not hard. It can happen in so many different ways. And I would encourage you to find a life group and get involved in a group of people where you're asking step-oriented questions. Because when you do that, your root system, your tent pegs will be strengthened. When people are leaning in and you are leaning into others and you are asking step-oriented questions, man, how's your encounter with God? Are you mattering? Are you serving somebody? Are you belonging? Do you feel isolated? How can we lean in? How can we surround you? Are you growing? What, God's do, what is God doing helping you find the language of your season in the Bible? And are you inviting other people in to it? I think discipleship is a theme for us over these next few months. It's because we want to get stronger. We want to build our house on the rock of our salvation. And this biblical idea 
that at times can feel very complicated and because of our personal experiences in the natural doesn't mean that we should give up on it. It means that we should keep fighting for a pure expression of it. And that's what we want to do. We want to live on mission by being obedient to the great commission to make disciples of all nations. Romans 6 verse 1 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death and we were there, therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When we talk about being a people of mission and being a people of purity, it means that we are saying our lives should reflect the resurrection of Jesus. Our lives should reflect the resurrection of Jesus. Psalms 24 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. Purity is a pursuit more than a destination. Purity is a pursuit more than a destination because we are always going to be broken, sinful, corrupted, saved by grace people. Until we experience glory in heaven, we are still broken. And that grace that we experience is grace so that we can grow in maturity and can keep entering into the throne room of grace with confidence, becoming like Jesus. Becoming more of a reflection of him. And what that means is that the more that we spend time with him, the less of the junk that that is in us is reflected and the more of the glory that is in him begins to shine through. Meaning that our lives should look different because we are lovers of Jesus. The decisions we make are different. The things we do, the things we watch, what we say, what we don't say should reflect that we walk in a relationship with the living God. I like to say that the love that God has for you is not impacted or affected by what you do. But what you do shows everyone what you love. God's love for you is not going to change. But the decisions you make will reflect what you love, what you care about, what, what, what matters to you, what satisfies you. And the invitation is that we would be a people that have clean hands and a pure heart. Not a perfect people, but a people that constantly come to the throne room of grace with confidence and repent of our sin and say, God, would you come and would you fill me with the Holy Spirit and would you wash me clean so that I can experience again the the saving, beautiful, cleansing grace that you have for me. We want to be a people that our lives reflect what we believe. 
that our lifestyle is shaped by the relationship that we have with the living God. We want to be a people of mission. We want to be a people of purity. And we want to be a people of passion. Romans 12 verse 10 really kind of says this whole sermon in one verse. Some of you are like, could you just have read that? And then we could go to lunch. Romans 12 verse 10, it says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. I'll end with this. Never be lacking in zeal. The psalmist, Psalm 69 verse 9 says, The zeal for your house consumes me. Church, it's time for us to get passionate about the house of God again. Just last weekend, I was hanging out with Francis Chan, and he was talking about how something he's been experiencing as he's been traveling around is that there's a dullness that has settled over the people of God since COVID. There's this kind of, just this dull hue, if you will, a fog, a little bit of kind of how I feel this morning. The NyQuil won't let go. And I feel like the invitation for us is to say, no, we're going to be a people of passion. We're going to be a people that are never lacking in zeal. You know what zeal means right there? It means great energy or enthusiasm. Never be lacking in zeal. Matthew 22, Jesus tells us that we're to love your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. I said it wrong. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. All. Not some. All. Be all consumed. Be absolutely captivated, surrounded, lost, stirred, overwhelmed. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to be a people of mission. We want to be a people of purity. We want to be a people of passion. We want to live on mission, that the Great Commission would be the aim of our lives, to be people that make disciples, but maybe more importantly, that are disciples. We want to be a people of purity. We want to have clean hands and a pure heart. We want to say, God, we know we're not perfect, but we are pursuing the God who is, and he's made a way for us to experience transformation, freedom, and forgiveness so that we can approach the throne room of grace with confidence. We want to be a people that reflect the goodness and the glory and the hope and the transformation of Jesus. And we want to be a people of passion. We never want to be lacking in zeal. We want to be energetic and enthusiastic about the house of God.
energetic and enthusiastic about what God's doing in our city. Energetic and enthusiastic, never lacking in zeal, not lacking in spiritual fervor, being like, God, we are believing that the best is yet to come. That you want to do things beyond what we can even ask, hope, or imagine. And man, we've seen some incredible things happen over the past six years. And we're looking forward over the next six years and we're saying, God, do even more. Do even more. That we're going to be even more people of mission. Even more people of purity. Even more people of passion. That it would be a marker over our church. That this is a house that reflects heaven. Every aspect of it. The beauty, the forgiveness, the glory, the zeal that we would look like heaven. Amen? Stand to your feet. Just open your hands. Lord, we're asking right now that we would receive all that you have for us. Lord, that we would receive all that you have for us, Lord. Lord, every person that's here, every individual, every family that's represented with with the glory of God overwhelm each and every one of us beyond what we could ask, hope, or imagine. Lord, I pray that you would deposit in all of us a desire for your house, a desire to live on mission, to be a people that live the great commission. Lord, a desire within us to be a people of purity, be a people that have clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, a desire, Lord, to be a people of passion, never lacking in zeal, never lacking in spiritual fervor, that the zeal for your house would consume us in Jesus' mighty name.